Thank you. Even in just a smile, they would see the Father's love. It can be that easy, can't it? A smile, paying attention, recognising another human. I find that's a good challenge sometimes, even a couple of times a week, I, I try to walk along the beach and uh, pay attention, make eye contact, smile. Just recognise that there's a human. I had somebody tell me a number of years ago that there's like a six-foot rule. Somebody's within six feet of you. Acknowledge that there's a human. It's good, isn't it? Six-foot rule. So good morning. Thank you for braving the weather. G'day to everybody at Bensville. This is week two in our little series exploring our focus verse for the year. And it's this verse here. It's 1 Corinthians 9. It's the second half of verse 22. And this is out of the New Living Translation. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. And last week, Andrew kicked us off and we kind of started at the back and we're working to the front. And so he started off with the to save some bit. And today we're going to consider what it means to be doing everything I can. Everything. And it sounds like a really desperate, really focused statement from Paul, doesn't it? Doing everything I can. If you look at it in the New King James, that says this, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Message is a bit different. I like the way that this is put. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. So doing everything I can, by all means, in all events, in in any and in every way. And so the the idea, it seems, would be that I am just so focused on this work of saving some. I'm so committed that I'm going to do everything that's humanly possible. I'm going to do everything that's in my power to bring all that I might into the kingdom. Sounds good. And so I found, I reckon, I found, I, uh, I found the perfect example, the ideal illustration. And it's this one, Apollo 13. Houston, we have a problem. Think about it, it's brilliant. So, so the movie is based on the events of the Apollo 13 lunar mission in, in 1970 and it was meant to be... The, the third mission to the moon. And so astronauts Jim Lovell, and that was played by Tom Hanks, Fred Hayes was played by Bill Paxton, Jack Swigert by Kevin Bacon. They, they find that, that everything is going according to plan after leaving Earth's orbit. However, something goes wrong. An oxygen tank explodes And so the moon landing is called off and and tensions mount amongst the crew and then there's a whole bunch of of really serious technical problems and it it threatens their survival and threatens their 
return to earth. And so then what follows in, in the movie, and it's a story on, on real life, obviously, is just the most incredible display of, of teamwork and determination and courage and, and creativity and of problem solving. And so their mission, it, it changed from, from landing on the moon, it changed to a rescue mission. And they start by, by pulling together in the command centre in, in Houston all of the same gear, all of the same resources and, and equipment on the ground that they actually had uh, in, in the landing module in orbit. And so the challenge was that they needed to create this, this carbon, dioxide, carbon dioxide filter housing that was going to give them enough oxygen to survive. So the ground crew literally find common ground with the crew in orbit. But this is it. This is just a brilliant example. So the ground crew, they're, they're single-minded. They are focused on saving these few men, on rescuing the crew of Apollo 13. They find common ground and then they do everything that they humanly could. Just imagine if our home groups were this committed to finding and saving the lost. And of course it works against all odds. The astronauts are saved and it's just this most wonderful story of human ingenuity and compassion and commitment and persistence and doing everything we can to save some. Great example, like really brilliant sermon prep. Well, let's back up a little though. Let's start with what we know, and so we might shoehorn this, this example into God's story. We know that, that God is gathering his people. We know that he is gathering his family. And this, that was his idea. It was his idea right from the very start. And we also know that his desire is that no one would be lost. And so through Jesus, this work of reconciliation... It's complete. As far as God is concerned, this problem of separation, uh, of, of sin and of death, it's been, it's been comprehensively and it has been eternally overcome by Christ. And so now our job, our calling, our collective calling, is that we would carry this good news of what is already done, that we would carry that good news to the end of the earth, ends of the earth, just through our normal everyday lives and that we would do that as his ambassadors. That's how God has set it up, that he would make his appeal through us. And so you and I, we, we try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything we can to save some so that they might turn around on, on hearing this good news and point themselves, that we might point ourselves in the direction of our eternal destiny. We would do everything that we can. I would do everything that I can to this end. Well, there's a problem though, isn't there? And the problem is that, that my everything, my everything is Nothing. Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, 
He says, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ and he did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea, his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ to join him in the work he does. The good work that he has gotten ready for us to do. The work that we had better be doing. It's his idea. It's his work. He will do it. Jesus says this in John, John 15. He says, Remain in me and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, my everything is nothing. And you know that I, I like to do this. The, the Greek word for, for, for nothing is udis. It means nothing. So it turns out that my brilliant Apollo 13 example is completely wrong. It's the anti-image of what, of what Paul has in mind here. So we can, we can ignore Apollo 13 because everything I can do is nothing. But of course Jesus points the way, the way forward right here. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Because in him, everything is all things. Paul writes in Philippians 4, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And again in Romans 8.28, and we spent some time on this a couple of weeks ago, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Jesus himself says in, in Matthew 19, he says, For God, all things are possible. All things are possible for those who believe. In Christ, in God, all things are put to use for his kingdom purposes regardless of what we think. And he's got a reputation for it, doesn't he? You might remember the call of Moses. I think this is a great example. In, in Exodus 4, God, God is calling Moses and he's sending him to confront 
Pharaoh and, and demand that he would let his people go. And Moses like, I, I can't help. I can't speak properly. I'm shy. Nobody's going to listen to me. And so the Lord said to Moses, well, Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, it's a stick. And God says, awesome, we'll use that. And Moses still isn't convinced and he says, but I, 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 kill, I still can't speak well. And God says, well, you've got a brother, right? Yeah, awesome, we'll use him. And throughout all of the Old Testament, we see example after example of God using all things for his purposes. Fast forward 1,500 years and there's this scene in, in John 6 where, where Jesus sees that, that there's more than 5,000 people who, who are hungry. And so he, he talks to the disciples about getting some food for them and they're all kind of thinking, well, you know, that's not going to happen. And then Andrew pipes up and he says, well, there's a kid here and he's got a couple of bread rolls and he's got some fish. And Jesus says, awesome, we'll use that. And we look through this great arc of scripture and we can see that God has this reputation for using all things for his purposes. He uses sticks, uses bones, he uses weakness, he uses stupidity. He uses rocks, he uses seeds and kids and mountains and trees, he uses towels. He uses wine and dinner tables and weddings and long walks and storms and and tent pegs and boats and friends and enemies and water and wind and fire and fish and frogs and locusts and leprosy and blindness and bread and rainbows. He uses tragedies, he uses stories, he uses mums and dads and brothers and sisters. He uses dreams, he uses coins, he uses livestock. He uses business deals and he uses whips and crowns and crosses and tombs. He uses all things to bring people everywhere into his family. In him, all things are possible. You do not need to worry about what you have or don't have or what you can do or what you can't do because he will cause all things to work together for his purposes. Whoever you're with, wherever you are. In the verses that lead up to our focus, Paul is talking about, about whether he is with Jews or whether he is with Gentiles, whether he is with people who are under the law or people who are not under the law, uh, whether he is with the weak, in fact, anybody at all, that he can confidently go about his work of leading some to Christ because he knows that it's Christ's work and that he will do all things, and he will use all things, and he will cause all things to work together for his purpose. And you know, we can have the same confidence. Whether I'm with friends at school, whether I'm with mates at work, my neighbours or mother's group, or with clients or students or friends, anyone, anywhere. Look at this in 2 Corinthians 9. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, that you will abound in every good work. 
So without him, your everything is nothing. But in him, your nothing becomes all things. It just requires one thing. And that one thing Paul outlines right at the start of this passage in in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. And he says, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. So this is what it all comes down to. Just one thing. He said, it is as a slave to to all people, considering all others above myself, that I would find common ground with whomever I'm with. The message puts our focus verse like this, remember. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. So it's simply this. If, if we're going to be apprentices of Christ, if we are going to be disciples who make new disciples who make new disciples, then we follow his lead. We take on Jesus' example. And we take that on for the sake of those who just don't know yet that Christ has already secured their eternity. And when those God-orchestrated moments arise, we put our interests, we put our comfort, we put our convenience, we put our power, we put our schedule, we put our busyness aside and we serve. And we submit to the energy of the Holy Spirit, which is always and forever toward reconciliation Paul writes in Philippians 2 and this is familiar where did I get to Ethan if you can find the slide that's Philippians 2 it says this don't be selfish Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Because he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. So he gave up his divine privileges. He He took the humble position of a slave. And he was born as a human being. Can you find it, Eve? Christ is our example. I've laid down a pattern for you, Jesus said, while he was washing the disciples' feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. The king of the universe became human. He became humble, like a slave, weak, an outsider, like a criminal even. Jesus found common human ground 
with you and me. And by the power of, power of the Spirit within him, in obedience to the Father, he did everything necessary to reconcile everyone to God. He made himself what we are so that he might rescue us and enlist us in his mission of sharing that good news. And so we follow Christ's inspirited, his obedient example of self-sacrifice for the sake of one another. And then when the time comes, when that chicken line presents itself, and it will, we just need to be ready. Peter writes this. hope you can find it, Ethan. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. You know, the pathway to this moment, the pathway to this moment where somebody asks you about the hope that you would have as a believer, it's a pathway of submission. It's a pathway of serving. Our everything is one thing. Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 16, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And so it turns out that laying down our lives is not only our path to salvation, not only our pathway to, to eternity with and in Christ, it is also our participation in his mission. We give up our way for the sake of the body, for the good of the whole family. That's the example. That's the example we have in Christ and in Paul. So don't think that this is just some cute little tagline for the year. To invite you, to invite me, to try to find common ground with everyone, to do everything we can to save some, is to ask you on Christ's behalf to lay down your life. To give up our own way for his sake, for the sake of the body, for the sake of one another, for the sake of those who don't know yet that they are part of his story. And in the paradox of all paradoxes, it's in the giving up of our lives that we truly live. Our everything is one thing. Paul, in, in this passage in 1 Corinthians, he's really deliberately drawing a parallel between, between his approach to mission, his approach to sharing the good news and what he could see Jesus doing. And theologians and missiologists have picked up on this and they've even given it a name. And it's called incarnational mission. And the idea is that in, in the same way that Christ humbled himself and became like us, literally put on human flesh. That's what incarnation means. He became like us for the sake of love. 
And in the same way Jesus found this common ground incarnationally, so did Paul. And specifically, and this this is a key topic in this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul finds common ground regarding culture, regarding practices, everyday things. He would give up his own way in terms of what he would and, and wouldn't eat and drink for the sake of who he is with. And that's a significant and a self-denying thing for a Jew to do. And all the while, never losing his bearings in Christ. And so at the end of this section of text, and you kind of, you kind of need to read chapters 8 and 9 and 10 together and ask you to do that this week. At the end of chapter 10, Paul writes this, and he kind of bookends uh, the, the, the whole discussion. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't give offence to Jews or Gentiles or the church of God. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what's best for me. I do what's best for others so that many may be saved. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. My everything is nothing. His everything is all things. And so our everything is just one thing. That like Christ that we might lay down our lives for one another. It's in that one thing that we do everything that we can. It's in that single moment by moment, emptying ourselves for the sake of others, that we truly imitate Christ and that we join him in his mission to renew all of creation, starting with the person in front of us. And I don't want... I don't want to sugarcoat this. I don't want to in any way make this seem less significant or, or less costly than it really is. But do you know what? You are made for this. You and I, we were made for Christ-likeness. That is our Christian journey. And in the final assessment... Christ-likeness, like we're going to remember together in a couple of weeks' time, Christ-likeness is cruciform. More than anything else, Jesus looks like the cross. And it's only the cross that leads to life. Without becoming like servants to all people, like Jesus did, like Paul did, any, any evangelistic strategy, any disciple-making strategy or ambition that we might have is relegated to the realm of Apollo 13 evangelism. And don't get me wrong, it's a stunning example of, of earthly problem-solving and daring rescue, but totally useless when it comes to eternal salvation. Apollo 13 evangelism, it, it dilutes... The gospel from this lived out, spirit-dependent good news 
to human techniques and, and strategies and cleverness and scripts and campaigns and frantic activity and even manipulation. Now, God is so gracious that he will use even that. But this one thing, this everything, this dying to self in, in imitation of Christ for the sake of one another, I can't live up to that. Not sure that any of us can. But I want to point myself in that direction because I know that that's where life is. I know that that's where salvation is, mine and yours and everyone else's. So if you're up to it, I'm going to invite you to pray with me that in Christ that we might lay down our everything in exchange for his. Our nothing for his all things. And so that he might use our, our everyday, messy, God-dependent lives to save some. So let me pray. Father, I want to give you thanks that through your son, our King, our Lord, our brother, that you have done everything to reconcile all things to you. That you've entrusted that good news to us. And so that like Christ, we might lay our own ambitions, our own agendas, our own interests down for the eternity that you've prepared, an eternity together. Not just for us, not just for me, but for all those who don't even know yet that that's what you've done. Wipe the slate. Lord, with complete confidence knowing that you are love, help us. Help us to lay our lives down. That we might be infused with your spirit. So that we might become love itself. And so that in our normal everyday lives, at work, at school, whatever we're doing, that that love might leak. Leak out. Be seen. That we would be ready to testify to the hope that we have. The sure confidence that we have. In you. Lord, we know that we don't have whatever that is that that takes. We don't have, have that in our own strength, but we know that we've got that in you. And so with all that is within us, we give ourselves to you, our Lord Jesus. Amen.